0: How are you feeling? He's good man, but today I had a late night last night. So it's a bit cool. tired, I'm yeah. Late yeah, late yeah. And had, we had some good sparring yeah, yeah, yeah. on Monday. Yeah, You did oh. a of rounds, didn't you? you sparring Monday, fucking Not to out whiskey yesterday, back in today. Yeah, oh, yeah. But you've done the rounds easy though, yeah. done well, so you done it well. It's just keeping my hands up, catching yeah. the shots, yeah bro. You've done the rounds really well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what, what are you fighting? Yeah. I want 10 rounds from you. Then. Yeah, I, uh, in fact, before my last one, I, I usually do eight rounds uh, generally. My last mean, one, six, six rounds quickly, just uh, to get back into it. Sorry? obviously, next yeah. one will be a 10-rounder. Hopefully, again, so... Yeah, tough okay. yeah. proponent. When is the next one, for potentially? April, April, May. April. April, May. Yeah. Okay, so um, in a month. Yeah. About a month. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By we can, the end of um, April. Yeah, you're ahead of schedule. Yeah, by the end of April. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're ahead of schedule. Yeah. Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where whew, the world crate is going to be incredible this year. Um, welcome to, to part two of kind of the, the state of boxing or where are we right now. Um, it's worth just giving context for where this has come from. Um, I speak to Jamie TKV a fair bit. Great kid, got a lot of time for him. Um, I think he's talented, and I think when he locks in, On the price he needs to pay to be great, he will be. Well a big fan of his, and him and I will kind of go back and forth, you know, exchange voice notes, talk, whatever. And one of the things that's really kind of caught my attention when I talk to him is his opinions on Joshua. Now he doesn't reveal trade secrets, right? But it's it's that leadership role that Joshua has in that Ben Davison gym. Where he provides guidance, support um, is a good egg around the gym. Apparently, like it's all positive from from Jamie TKV, which I love, by the way. Like you know, no secrets are revealed, which I fully understand. But that kind of overview of what's it like being in the gym with Joshua, and he loves it. Like you get that knowledge, that insight from someone who's been there and done it. And I was like, we need more of this. And I think I've done episodes where I've said I'd love for Joshua to to have that kind of center of excellence for heavyweights. Which, you know, maybe this is the first step, but I always thought he'd have his own facility. And this would be happening as a matter of course, but he's, he's taken a different route, and it's understandable. But when I see that and I say, young prospects don't get enough of that. Because what tends to happen is Guys get their own gyms and they go train away and they isolate themselves from what I call the boxing culture. So they isolate themselves from the young amateurs and they isolate themselves from the young hungry kids who are trying to work their way up the ladder. And in many ways, they have no idea where boxing's headed. And I always say that's why Carl Frotch got caught off guard against George Groves. Because they represented two different styles of boxing. Um, whatever you say about Carl Carl used to work his way into a fight whereas I think the generation after Carl they just jump on you and you can learn what you want in camp but if you're not around that culture regularly you don't pick up on it there's nothing like being in a gym for seeing where boxing is and seeing where you're at and so it's good to see Joshua doing that and sharing that knowledge and so that's where the question came like are we just creating an island of the top 10 boxers who've just separated themselves from the rest of the sport? Because the sport's not in great shape at the moment. So if we, we looked at Saudi in the previous episode, which I thought was fair, because Saudi's almost, to British boxing fans, Saudi's the new epicentre of boxing. You know, we, we expect that if a big fight's going to happen involving Brits, it's going to happen in Saudi Arabia. And that's really, really sad, isn't it? But everyone's chasing the Saudi money. you you, you hear people in interviews where you fight so and so I don't see the point but if Saudi Arabia came knocking and offered enough money of course I'd do it and I can't remember who said it I think it was Martin Theobald said it best the last 12 months have taught us the only reason these fights weren't happening was money all that other stuff was just a smokescreen for no one's paying stupid money for it so we're not going to do anything stupid But if we look at the rest of boxing, the non-Saudi side of boxing, America's in trouble. And it's, it's odd to say that America's in trouble after the 2023 we had. But it's in big, big, big trouble. Last year we had two undisputed fights within three days of each other. Uh, the hardcores loved it, the mainstream loved it because they got Crawford versus Spence. A real fight for undisputed between two guys who we we thought were number one and two. Now, fast forward to the end of 2023. Showtime pulls out of boxing. Um, strategic decision, I think Paramount, we're just like, no, we don't need it anymore. And so, boxing in the United States... <laughs> is essentially, at the moment, DAZN or ESPN Plus, right? These are apps. Essentially, just apps. So DAZN and Disney is how we really want to look at it. And that put PBC in a, in a tricky position because all of a sudden, PBC don't have a home. Now, I don't think they're going to do anything on Fox. Um, you know, there's no pay-per-view capability without Showtime, although pay-per-view capability is just a plug-and-play. It's just a piece of software that you integrate, so that's not a problem. But you're looking at America and America is definitely in a rebuilding phase. And I say to people, look, let's, let's, here's an example. Let's go through the weight classes. At heavyweight, who's an American you can get excited about? Wilder's licking his wounds. We're waiting for Jared Anderson to come through. Seemingly no one wants to deal with Michael Hunter and I can't explain why but no one wants to deal with Michael Hunter. And then you've got a few guys like, well, I, I'm going to count FA, Jag Bird, Johnny Rice. There's a few kind of middling guys. Um, they they feel a bit cannon fodderish at the moment until they step up. Um, you've got Frank Sanchez, who might do something, but he strikes me as being a bit too small. But that's pretty much it. There's no outstanding American heavyweight where you're like, Oh my God, this is the guy that's going to bring it back. Americans don't do cruiserweight. You've got Tabiti and probably um, Marcus Brown. I was surprised that he went up to cruiserweight, but just, we'll say that. Light heavyweight at a push, Khalil Co., but he's way down on the list. You know, you're you not looking at at the creme de la creme at this point, are you? Well, I'll ask you seriously as a boxing fan. <laughs> Are you really going to stay up to watch guys like Charles Foster, Richard Rivera, um, Dion Nicholson, etc., etc.? Are you really going to stay up to watch guys like Rodolfo Gomez Jr.? Sadly, you're not. And so, as you go down the division, you realize that American talent is missing from a lot of key divisions, like, you know, as I boringly call the the classic divisions. They're missing. Right, These guys are missing. And I don't... And I don't know how this has happened. Um, and, you know, there are all these theories about American sport, like the NBA, the NFL, MLB. They take the best athletes. But there are enough good athletes that they should still be some, some talent. But I have a theory on this. And it's the, it's the Mayweather theory. When Mayweather was making all of the money, He brought revenue down to the smaller weight classes. um, Middle, light middle, more so. Welter, even more so. Junior Welter, kind of, yeah, because you can work your way up. And so everyone was lining themselves up to fight Floyd. Or whoever Floyd's successor was, because the money was always in that kind of 140 and 147 kind of band. But at the same time, there were no heavyweights to inspire. So people weren't like, yeah, I can make money being a heavyweight. You, like, I can make money anywhere between 140 and 154. Because these are all the guys who are garnering attention. And, you know, this is an effect of the PBC. So, like, you go to welterweight and the Americans suddenly have a few more bodies knocking around. It looks better, right? And it's kind of led by Boots, Crawford, um, Spence, and the list goes on. Go down to Junior, you've got guys like Progre, um, Teo, I know Teo's Honduran, but Teo, Ramirez, etc, etc. You go down to Lightweight, you know, I, I didn't even mention Garcia and Tank, uh, Garcia and Haney. Then you go down to Lightweight, you got Tank, Shakur, Frank Martin. So, paradoxically, America's kind of become this halfway house between... The Mexican and Latin American guys who do well in the small weights, and the Europeans who do well in the mid to big weights, and the Americans have kind of populated the spot from lightweight to light middle, and that seems to be where all the money is getting made in boxing in America right now. All the people that they're buzzing about, um, I think, at a push, Troy Isley at middleweight, but he could probably make one fifty-four. Um, I feel the same about Ammo Williams. And then you go down and look at all of these kind of young, hungry prospects. Your Keyshawn Davises, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of these guys are in that smaller weight class. Like, there's no real, no real big men. I know they're trying to build Ricardo Torres, Richard Torres. They're trying to build him up, and I get that. But there's not many. You know, Kello Cole is meant to be a guy at one seven five, and he hasn't delivered. So if you look at the PBC model which was have a lot of guys in a really concentrated span well in a couple of spans So from lightweight to light middle and then kind of from 126 to 135 right let's have a lot of those guys and all we're going to do is have them fight each other entertaining fights for the fans they're big fights they'll do good numbers on pay-per-view but what it means is we can keep churning high quality fights good viewership figures And keep our broadcaster happy. PBC were the only guys that were willing to do that. In America. Entertaining competitive fights. To keep our audience and broadcaster happy. Top rank weren't. That wasn't the top rank model. Top rank was. We'll bring them in for three fights. um, Get them in against our guys. Build our guys up. And then when when we don't need them we move them on. And look that will get you to a certain place. And if you look at Bob. Bob made good signings with the 2020 lot, right? He made a couple of good signs to the 2016 lot in terms of Olympians and he's seeing a return on that. Still surprised Bob Arum hasn't delved into women's boxing and neither of PBC really to any great degree. In fact, neither of Golden Boy. And so, America is stuck and until America gets some big men, some big impressive men that can box... America's going to continue to struggle. You, you look at their amateur program and there are no standouts. There's nothing standing out there where you're like, oh my God, I can't wait for these kids to come through. And I can't explain why. Maybe boxing's just become that thing that's not cool anymore. Because the world's changed. And America's a good example of this. You can make money acting the fool on TikTok. You can make more money doing that than you will boxing. So why box? Why why risk the concussion and getting your head kicked in? No. If you are going to be sporting, why won't you go for the NFL? Or or if you look at Perry Baker. Perry Baker is now a US Eagles rugby sevens player. I don't believe for one second Perry Baker knows the rules of rugby. But he can catch a rugby ball and he can run the 100 in like 10.2. Pretty much game over, right? And so when I see guys like Rick Glazer saying the PBC are screwed and they're finished and they're washed up and they're done, it's sad because, number one, I don't think the PBC are done. Number two, we shouldn't be happy that the PBC are even being talked about like this because who's giving you better fights? I've always seen Rick Glazer as Bob Arum's mouthpiece. Like Bob's almost like, I'm not giving kickings to people anymore. So can you do it for me, Rick? Like not really knows this guy. This is some old guy, <laughs> too old to be sat behind a keyboard. That's for damn sure. But he's always professing the demise of PBC. But look at PBC. Run by a man in Al Heyman who, who turned running a tour called the Fresh Fest into a significant shareholding in Live Nation and just made a, a ton of money. A ton of money. You know, I think he even got the shares in AEG when they took all of that over. So, Al has access to money. He'll always have access to money because he's from that world. So, this idea that PBC are in trouble, I don't necessarily think so. They've allegedly got a deal with Amazon. I don't know what that deal is. So, I don't know if Amazon front any money up to them. But Amazon getting into boxing will be interesting because I guess it's a useful test bed to see what sports they could do well and what sports they maybe won't do well. Because you imagine rights acquisitions will become the next area of growth for someone like Amazon. These big brands all want access to, to those kind of gold ticket sports rights packages. Because one, look one of the things when I sit down and I, I see what Rick Glazer writes and I see the, the hard time it gets PBC and you go, well, if Al decided to knuckle down and say I'm, I'm doing a blockbuster every month, he could. He's got that kind of stable way. he could do that and everyone would earn good money as they always have done, right? Because Al is the American promoter who's making money with American fighters. If you look at Bob aram's stable, like Bob's kind of crown jewels, Baturbi is Russian, Loma is Ukrainian, Gazette Navarrete, Mexican, um, Navaldas is Mexican-American. But Bob makes money of international fighters by giving them access to the US, right? That's that's Bob's model at the moment while he builds guys like Shakur and Keyshawn Davis and Troy Arsley, et cetera, etc, etc. But that's the Arab model. So when, when people say that the PBC is in trouble, yeah, but they've done it a different way. I think that PBC will be around for as long as Al wants to do boxing. Um, I think Top Rank will be around for as long as Bob wants to do boxing. I wonder what will happen when Bob goes. I'm less sold on DAZN, although you know DAZN have some decent fighters. So though it, it it looks like maybe they found a way to to nobble the the box track rating committee. because. They've got a lot of guys up in that list who don't deserve to be there. But that's just my opinion. If you look at what DeZona are doing across both Matchroom and, and Golden Boy. It's pretty much just what? Let's be honest. It's just Canelo and Ryan Garcia on the other side. American boxing is struggling. Not at that top level, not at that Crawford level, because you can have Crawford versus Charler versus Charler. You can have Crawford versus Garcia, Crawford versus Thurman, depending. You could have Crawford versus Ennis. This could all happen on PBC, by the way. This can all happen. So that's healthy. But we've got another two or three years of that, probably two years max of that left. It's that level below where we're like, ugh, it's not great. Because a lot of guys are leaving, as I said earlier, without passing on the passing that bag on that giving that giving that rub to the next guy coming through. And until we fix that, we're not going to be able to build stars consistently. I think Hearn's gonna find that because if you look at the the matchroom model, it's about sweating your assets. Once you know someone can sell tickets. You keep sweating that same asset until it doesn't sell tickets anymore and then you move on to the next thing. But that's not sustainable either and that's why Hearn's gone cap in hand to Saudi. Because his concern is not necessarily building stars. His concern is how much revenue can I generate every year. That's why Joshua fights three times. Because when Joshua fights three times, matchum do all right. Harsh but true. So when I look at the U.S., I think, I think U.S. boxing's in a mess. I think U.S. boxing has a good leader in Terence Crawford, but maybe he's not the leader the world wanted. And until America gets itself a solid heavyweight that's destructive, you almost need that Mike Tyson moment again to get people excited about boxing. But ultimately, but killed boxing... Was the desire for undisputed and the belts being concentrated in too few people. So people weren't fighting for world titles. And so you couldn't put these things on TV. And TV companies got bored of waiting and said, we're we'll off to go and do something else. But look, if you look at it like and you think it's doom and gloom in America, I think it's it's probably worse in the United Kingdom. Um we're definitely in that phase of Everyone is just sweating the assets. All those guys that were built during the, the heyday of boxing, like when the numbers were good and the money was nice, they keep getting wheeled out. So if you were, going, if you were to jump on BoxRec right now and look at the top 20 guys pound for pound in the United Kingdom, about 40 or 15 of them are over 30. I reckon about nine of, the, nine of those are probably over 32. But that's why the guys like Josh Warrington and Lee Wood and Maxie Hughes and Tyson Fury, Chris Bill and Smith, Anthony Joshua are wheeled out repeatedly. Joe Joyce as well. They're wheeled out repeatedly because there's nothing behind them. This is why these guys are in rotation. There's very little behind these guys. And what's also interesting, of that top 20, I think one is a signed fighter. maybe two, maybe Bill and Smith and Josh Boatsey, out of 20, <laughs> that lets you know what the problem is. So, if Sky is our biggest pay-per-view platform, our biggest sports channel in the United Kingdom, what are they doing if we don't have more than two? in the pound for pound top twenty list. Where 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 are these guys fighting? On what platform are these guys fighting on? Ohara Davis, Golden Boy. Josh Warrington, Matchum DeZone, Josh Warrington, uh Lee Wood, match from DeZone, uh Maxi Hughes, Who Knows JJ Metcalf, Matchum DeZone Jack Catrell, Matchroom DeZone Hamza Shiraz, TNT Sports Tyson Fury, wherever he wants, really. And so as you go down that list, the quality crashes all the way down, like, and, and there's no shots to people. It's just the quality drops off, and it shows we we haven't invested. And this isn't a Ben Shalom problem, um, because this predates. This is from when I'm trying sort to of think the people who really suffered. Guys like Craig Richards really suffered from a lack of investment. Um, I'd even put Joshua Butts in a guy who needed better guidance, was massively underinvested in as well. There are a lot of guys who were underinvested, Ted Cheeseman underinvested in. And so we never had these guys come through. Now maybe it would have turned out they weren't good enough, I don't know. But massive underinvestment. And you see these guys now. Like, I'm sure someone could have done a better job with Shekhan Pitters as well. Eggington's another example where you, you wonder what could have happened. And so you look at that. And here's a crazy thing. If James DeGale decided to come back and box, I imagine he would get to headline somewhere. Because promoters know that he would sell. There's also a counter argument and I've heard this from promoters and I've heard this from managers and they've said to me, Terry, maybe these guys aren't good enough. If you remember, people were talking about Dennis McCann being this wrecking machine, a guy who was going to just take over and he may still take over, but he hit a bump in the road a lot earlier than he was supposed to. You know, and you see this guys are hitting bumps in the road a lot sooner and I, I don't know what that's down to. Is it them? Is it the trainers? Is it the management? What is it? But we're not We're not producing kids between 23 and 28 that we could hang our hats on and say these kids are the real deal. You know? We had Carola Talma. I thought Carola Talma would be that, that guy. And then he he hit his bump in the road. His brother Moses is doing well, but we need to keep an eye on him and he's going to need careful management and they're going to have to bring him through at the right time at the right speed. So I've seen that happen as well. Like a lot of people have fallen over. And what's that down to? I, I personally think it's down to the fact that these guys don't get into hard fights until it's too late. We don't put our kids in With people who could do damage to them. So they coast. Most British prospects coast for the first 15 fights. Just coast. There are no rivalries. No this, no that. They just coast. And then you get to a point of just shameless opportunism. Um, What's a good example of that? So I think it was Kevin Marie. Was saying, yeah... Well, why don't we have Callum Simpson versus Ben Whitaker? And I was like, well, well, hold on, numb nuts. How about you tell us where the hell Jack Massey is? Yeah? Hold on, Kevin. How about you tell us, yeah? How on earth Jack Massey has just disappeared? All of this cruiserweight action happening Billum Smith, Reactport, Chamberlain, Vidal Riley. And your own promoter doesn't say Jack Massey. So you're here banging the drum for Callum Simpson. Callum Simpson can take care of himself. Yo, Callum Simpson will take care of himself. Where's Jack Massey? That's what we want to know. Where's Jack Massey? Where's... Where's Kevin Marie banging the drum going, hold on guys, so everyone stop. Jack gave a better account of himself than Deontay Wilder did against Joseph Parker. Jack can do that against anyone, put him in there. Why why is that not happening? Jack? Jeez, this is what I mean. Meanwhile, you're, you're tweeting dumb shit like... Yeah, Callum Simpson should fight Ben Whittaker. Callum Simpson's a super middleweight. Well, oh yeah, he would well, just go up to fight Ben Whittaker. Is he going to stay there? Is he going to come back down? Are they going to meet at a catchweight? If I had a manager like Kevin, I'd sack him. I'd be like, mate, go back and finish your GCSEs, nuts. Like, what the hell is that? And like I said, meanwhile, Jack Massey's got mouths to feed and you ain't banging the drum for him. Ah, oh, come on. This is the problem with British boxing. Um, there are too many clowns managing. There's no strategy. There's no nothing. There's no... You don't feel taken care of. And that's why these guys get upset. They don't train hard because they don't know where the hell they're going. But, you know, I get too heated about these things. And I apologise, but I just saw that tweet and I said, But where's Jack Massey? You're Jack! Got a beanstalk for you, mate. <sighs> That's the problem with our sport. Our boxers aren't good enough right now. Our managers aren't good enough. Well, nah, nah, some of them are alright. Like, I'm going to give Steve credit. I think Steve Goodwin's back in a big way, which is good. Joe G, as always. You know, Joe knows how to maneuver these things. They're good managers. Dennis H. Dennis Hobson, as always. He does his thing. Errol Johnson. These sorts of guys. Even Chris Saniga. They're guys who who know how to manoeuvre. I don't know if Jack Massey would be this much in the wilderness if you were still managed by Dennis or looked after by Dennis, I should say. I just don't believe so because I'm like, Jack ain't done nothing. Why? Because you, you can say what you want. Jack Massey's too good to be doing six rounders in Liverpool on a cold January night. He's too good for that. Um... I thought there was money in that Billum Smith fight, but no one's really built Jack to a position where the fans are calling for it. So where is he? Well, he's just waiting for Vidal Riley to get to a level where he fights Jack. I don't think it's fair on Jack. Jack, Jack could theoretically fight and beat Billum Smith and Reactpool. He could. I'm not saying he will, but theoretically he could. That means he's in an interesting conversation, right? And that conversation should involve someone like an Isaac Chamberlain too. That's where the money is in the cruiserweight division for me. Those four make their money. Then Vidal joins that mix, and then they make even more money. All right? But that's the problem with British boxing. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I may release it, and someone says, "Nah." Jack's not managed by Kevin Marie anymore, and then I'll end up having to headbutt the wall in stupidity. But my assumption at the moment is he still is. But I'm also going to broaden out the conversation, because I can't just keep <laughs> zeroing in on one person. We have too many names that we need to get our heads around as boxing fans, right? There are too many names. Um... All these, all these names I've got to get behind, like a Mark Jeffers, a Jack Cullen, and Zach Chelley, and all these, who, who at super middleweight is the guy? Who's the guy that's going to fight Zach Parker? Who is that guy? Hopefully, Zach Chelley now. Hopefully, we've, we've cleared that up now. Zach Chelley's our guy. Push him to the moon and back. Because Zach's a good guy, and he's grafted for it. But once once he gets that little nod that says, you're the guy now, I think he'll train differently. And he'll train like a leader should. And I go down those weight classes and I look. Um, Middle weight. Is it Denzel? Is it Nathan? Is it Hamza? Who are we getting behind? Is it Felix Cash? Who? Who? We, we just want one or two names in every weight class where we're going to back him to the moon. And once they drop off, we'll be like, look, we still like you, but... We've got to find the guy that's going to take us over the top. And this is kind of the pressure I'd be putting on Frank. I'm Frank. You're the guy that knows how to do this best. How do you do it? Although, if you look historically, Frank doesn't really like mixing it internationally. He likes his domestic dust-ups. So I don't know. I think... I think if you look... And let's just break it down into three streams. And I know I could mention Channel 5, but they feel a bit opportunistic. Queens being TNT Sports. Big rebuilding job that's being held down by the heavyweights in Anthony Yard in terms of star power. Everything else is just building, building, building until you can get some guys who are world championship level. But I'm sure if the Warrens looked down the list at who was training their people, they'd be disappointed. And they may shed a few tears. Which is okay. If you look at the zone and match room, different approach completely they're sweating their assets they're kind of focused on building a little bit you got vuong uh you got is it ethan james george Vicioli? can't even say surnames properly so they're building now because they've realized oh my god warrenton's probably one or two fights left woods probably one or two fights left we don't have anything in this country So expect Hearn to be quite aggressive in trying to acquire names in the next probably in the next year or so. Where he goes because if Josh and Lee decide to retire it's a wrap. Um, Cordina's a couple years off retirement. Jordan Gill a couple years off retirement. So Hearn has to build quickly. He has to move guys like Johnny Fisher along quickly. Joshua's not going to be around forever. But right now his goal is revenue and profitability so he's sweating the assets that he's currently got and that's going to cause him some midterm pain but hopefully in the long term he'll balance it out again and then Sky (sighs) what is Sky doing? what is Sky doing? Who's got their hands on the steering wheel at Sky? Is it Ben Shalom? Is it McHennessy? Who Who is it? Because depending on who you talk to, you get different answers. Now listen, I, I get having McHennessy around, right? Knowledge, wisdom, experience, and an eye for talent. He, he knows who's gonna cross over, right? But who's in charge? Who's setting the direction in which the, the brand is going? I look at that March 31st year that feels very Ben Shalomish which is good and I think it's a good card but Ben's got to give us three of those cards this year where we go okay it hasn't got like Dubois Joyce level star power but it's solid from top to bottom like you're not you're not switching over on this card so we need three of those this year from Ben and I think that's how Ben reasserts control. That's, I, think, I think that's how Ben can start doing those interviews with his chest out where he goes, we deliver for the fans. But we need three of those cards. We can't have anything less. Because I do. I say, oh, come on, man. Like Your stable's not that precious that these guys can't just fight each other all the time. Like you... <laughs> Building who to go where? That's the question I still have. You're building who to go where? That apart from Ben Whitaker, there isn't anyone who's really stood out and said, Yeah yeah, I, I got something different. It's just Ben. So if it's Ben, cool. Marshal the marshal all your structures behind Ben. Get Ben on Sky Sports, get him with Jamie Carragher, see if he can do some keep ups. Yeah, but put him in fights that will that will that will cement him as a guy who could beat anyone on his day. I'd add Vidal Riley to that. Like they're the two guys where if you're going to push two people, just push those two. Let's see where we get to. But I would. I'd like to see Ben Whitaker this year against carola Tauma. Why not? Hey, that's a good fight. That will clarify a lot at 175. That will tell us who's next up. Let's have that fight. And you know, if he fights Italma and he showboats like that again, <laughs> mate, he, 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 he's off to the moon. But all done off his own back. Ben's built his star power off his own back. Who else is doing that? And I could go into my, my diatribe about people not grafting when it comes to boxing but I'm not going to do that. What I will say is it worries me that Sky's our biggest sports engine and we're not building stars on there. I don't think they should be afraid to have a full reset and just clean clean it up and go, right. Are we a free-to-air platform or are we a pay-per-view platform? If you're a pay-per-view platform sign guys who can sell pay-per-views. If you're free to air, cool. Carry on doing what you're doing. But I don't get it. I don't... But also a part of it is... Who could sell pay-per-views in this country anyway? No one. Joshua's in Saudi. Fury's in Saudi. Yard. TNT. And even when it comes to his pay-per-views, it's a tough sell. So, I don't know, man. I we need clarity Like someone's got to come out and sky and say, this is what we're doing because I don't really get it. It's not, I can't say they're building prospects because they're not signing the creme de la creme. They got Ben and then you got big phrase and big phrase is a lovely guy, by the way, but he's not a young guy and you wonder what his true ceiling is, you know, and we might find out on March 31st. Um, Lauren Price, super talented, but I thought Lauren Price was going to do the Olympics. I thought the whole point of those guys staying up at GB when they turned pro was to do the Olympics. So someone clarify what's happening there, please. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff at Sky that needs clarifying, but... Overall, if you look at British boxing, outside of the established name brand fighters that we all know, it's barren. I don't know how you fix it. I think it's a training problem. I think it's a everything problem, but I'm not gonna blame the promoters just yet because they can only deal with what they've got, I guess, and that's the sad bit. You know when you look at the roots of stuff like this, and you go, what, why, why are we struggling? And I always look at the amateur system because it's the one that I'm closest to and I can have a real look and go, what's going wrong? And my theory's always been this, been this for a while now we let too many nice kids in the gym often at the expense of kids who will win you stuff you know the, the traumatized kid who finds his way through boxing the hyperactive kid the overly aggressive kid who finds control through boxing normally get excluded from gyms overlooked disregarded Put to the side, whereas in the old days they were always given a chance because you're like, well, I don't have to teach him to fight. He'll get stuck in, or she'll get stuck in. Now, now when you're in gyms, there are a lot of really nice kids, kids who are a credit to their family, like great kids, GCSEs, A levels, off to uni. They're really, really nice kids, cool kids, kids you can have a laugh with. It's rare you see a kid carry real menace and. I can't say that's an amateur boxing problem. It's a societal problem. I think amateur clubs are now run, managed, coached by a different caliber of person. A lot of people I find, oh God, this is going to get me in trouble. When I go into gyms, there are a lot of people who like the idea of being a boxing coach. They want to be in the videos doing the pad work and they, they want to be at shows with a lanyard and they want to tell their mates they're involved in boxing and they think they can puff their chest up and say, yeah, I do boxing. And when, when they sit down and watch boxing, they like to, you know, ah, look at me. Yes. <laughs> Jesus, I do that sometimes. Sorry. Um, you don't get people who want to win in gyms anymore. You don't get people who know how to win anymore. You don't get people who will tell you you should never have lost that fight. You lost that fight because you didn't take it seriously. You don't get that. Like I look at I look at my mates who are coaches, uh, Cy Rose, Big Linton, um, you know, the Earlsfield Gorilla. It doesn't like me mentioning his name. Um, Coach Kev. Uh, who also want to reel off without getting myself in trouble? Do you know what I mean Big Marcus to fight for peace? All those sorts of guys that you bump into, and you, you reminisce on how you were, and you're like, these kids ain't the same, and you know these kids ain't the same because they can't work hard in the gym, and they, you couldn't leave them in the gym. And trust that they could work as hard as they could. You wouldn't trust it. You have to be there to supervise them. We never needed supervision. And so we carry those expectations into our lives as coaches. And it's hard. It doesn't get set up. It's hard. Because you love these kids. These kids are awesome. They're great people. They're fantastic human beings. But you're like, where's the savage in you? But nothing in your life has pushed you over the edge where you're like, I could just bite someone's face off. Really? How? And so, I can't expect people who have come from relative comfort and a nice world, in a nice safe world, relatively sanitized, to be killers in the gym. You look at the GB squad. And you've got kids like Adam Macker and you've got kids like um, Kieran McDonald and all these sorts of lads. I don't know their backstories. I've met a few of them and they're nice lads. Yeah, They're nice lads. They're nice kids. You know, guys like Owen Ketley, they're nice guys. Joe Turner, Freddie Pullen, these are all nice guys, right? Where are the guys that put their foot through a door when they've lost? Because it means that much to them. Maybe they don't come to boxing gyms anymore. Maybe they do drill. Maybe they do grind. Maybe they're acting now. The world gives you options, I guess. But it's a real shame that boxing's not a home to the savages. Boxing is not a place where the savages can come and master their savagery. Boxing is no longer a place where these guys can come in and exorcise demons and trauma. That's a real shame. Don't get me wrong, these kids can fight. These kids are strong kids and they're good fighters and they're technically sound. But there's going to come a point in a fight where you've got to go to a place where you may have only ever been as a child but you got to know how to get into that place how to be comfortable in that place and how to get yourself out you can't manufacture toughness and I think we're trying to manufacture toughness in boxing it's not for us to do it's for society to do our kids are generally too soft and this is why we're getting exposed in boxing. We, you're you're not gonna get those sorts of teak tough Dennis Andres type human beings anymore. I don't think. I just don't see it. Tough guys, real headbangers, you know, walk into an amateur gym on Tuesday. I'll spark anyone. I don't care. You got ten kilos on me? Cool, let's go. I don't think you're gonna get that anymore. And I don't know if, that, if that's a good or a bad thing. By the way, you're just not gonna get it. The reason I bring it up is is, is what I'm kind of familiar with. I don't know how we get back to a point where we can just point to someone and go, that guy just wants to take people's heads off. Everything else is a distraction. He just wants to take people's heads off. Because they're the people we need in our sport right now. So one question I want to answer, because I get, I've got asked this a lot actually before I did episode 200 and Martin didn't pull me up on it I don't think maybe he did but I didn't give a fulsome answer I got asked about my thoughts on Dan Aziz versus Joshua Boatsy and the more that fight lives with me the stranger it feels because I know Dan better than Josh but I know both guys I know Dan and you know, I know what Dan can do. And that whole fight just looked like the least Dan Aziz performance. He didn't look like he wanted to take someone's head off in there. That, that, that was what I took from it. And, and I know Dan can take heads off. Oh, man, how do you? I'll go back to when I was young. And I played rugby and I'm not going to say the guy's name uh, because he might be listening actually. And so we were mates, right? He played rugby, I didn't. Then I started to play rugby and we played in the same position. We both played open side flanker. So we were competing for one slot on the county team. And I remember seeing him and we were just talking casually I said, Mate, I'll do whatever it takes to get that place. Like, that's just, that's just what I do. And he said, fine, right? And every training session we would have, we would end up with lumps, bumps, bruises. We'd end up a mess because we were literally trying to hurt each other to establish dominance. And it affected our friendship. So we stopped talking. Like, we didn't socialize. Like, we weren't in the same places. And if we were, we didn't really talk. Like, our friendship suffered. It wasn't for about four I four years afterwards when, when none of us were really in that zone anymore. We could start talking. And people say, ah, you know, that's just immaturity. I'm like, no, it's not. There comes a point when if something is that important to you, if it defines you, friendship can't get in the way. I have to be prepared to hurt Someone I consider to be a friend to get what I want. And in my head, my justification is, if you're truly my friend, you want me to be the best version of myself. And if I'm truly your friend, I want you to be the best version of yourself. But it's, it's incompatible. Because for me to do that to you, there has to be an element of hate. I have to be able to disregard your humanity for that brief point in time so I can hurt you. Now, as it happens, I got the place. So I was always more amenable to rebuilding a friendship. He wasn't. I understand why. Because I was the representation of what he could have had. That's why I found it weird to see them having food together. Because I'm like, it feels a bit soon. But they know the story better than I do. I know that if someone rang me and said, you got to box your close friend it would be rough for a bit I wouldn't let up I I mean like we'd go to war but maybe because I'm older and wiser now we might just hug it out and go yeah that was rough but not not when there was money at stake or my livelihood or my legacy or this is the thing that's going to define me I would have just gone to war there would have been some shoving there would have been something that lets you know that look we're fighting To create create that distinction between our friendship and our business. But that's that's my take on it. Um, Others. And their opinions equally valued may say. Look I love that. They're two gentlemen of the sport. They went put it on the line and came back out. I'm just from a different generation. I'm from a generation where. People had beef at 18 and they still ain't cool now. But. I I now accept that a lot of my thinking is dinosaur thinking. I'm a caveman in this modern world. But I, I, I found it odd. I just found it, I found that fight really odd because it's a fight Dan could have won. It was a fight Dan could have won. And there'll be other outlets that will ask Dan and they'll go, could you ever see past your admiration of what Josh achieved as an amateur when you were fighting him? I don't know. I hope he could. Because when I saw down at the weigh-in, he looked brilliant. Good shape, um, focused. Uh, One thing I will say, pro boxers, if you're listening to this, invest in IV drips. Yeah. WADA allows you, I think it's, either 50 or 100 mils every 24 hours. The stuff you can put in an IV drip is the difference between you being alert at that first bell and not being alert. And I'm not talking about prohibited substances, just stuff like magnesium. Zinc. You know, B12 if you want it. There are so many things you can put in there. You can put Solanke in there, like injectable ATP you could put in there. Well, we've just been drip version of ATP. There's so many things you can put in a drip. You could actually have two drips, yeah? A recovery drip. 24 hours later, you have a pre-fight drip. If you don't do stuff like this, you're leaving money on the table. And people say, oh, it's cheating. It's not cheating. It's permitted by WADA. That's your barometer of what cheating is. It is permitted. Not enough boxers use IV drips. Like, like, if it was me and I had a guy weighing in, he'd have three little bottles, right? There'd be a carbs bottle that he'd drink his carbs. Then there'd be like a green vegetables bottle, which he'd drink to get some micros in and just keep them sharp and firing. And then finally we'd have the protein in, yeah? Because you're not really engaging in protein breakdown in fight week, but you are depleting a lot of your micronutrients and a lot of times this, does, this gets overlooked because trainers don't really understand these things. So if your trainer doesn't give you an IV drip at some point before your fight, especially if you're fighting for big money, change your trainer. I'm not, I'm not telling anyone directly to change but I would be worried because there should be no stone left unturned. You should be, you should be behaving right up to what the law permits. Yeah? That's when you that's when you leave no stone unturned. That that's what I would say. But you know, what do I know? But no, in terms of Dan and Josh, I just it was an odd fight, it was an odd performance. Dan's better than that. And I'm sure he'll show it in his next fight. But in terms of Fighting friends, maybe people just shouldn't fight friends anymore. I don't know. But Good luck, I'm happy both men are healthy. I'm happy both men are able to enjoy the fruits of their labour. I'll never criticize people for earning money. You know, good luck to them. But it'd be interesting to I, I yeah. I'm gonna draw a line under that one because I'm still I'm still a bit frazzled. Something I do wanna to touch on is and as much as I I should talk about tank, uh, Devin Haney versus Ryan Garcia, which is a good fight. I'm going to save that for closer to the fight. But Ryan Garcia let let out some video of of tank sparring Devin Haney, and like the internet's gone crazy about this. And I don't know how I feel necessarily about publicizing sparring. I think you should keep these things in small circles, just because. Information without context is very, very dangerous. So you don't know where Devin Haney was physically at that point. You don't know where Tank was at that point. They might have both been out of shape. One might have been in shape. One might have been fight ready. We have no idea. So when people talk about, oh, who got the better of it? That's never the aim of sparring. And I think... You see, boxing fans believe that they're these autonomous opinion-forming beings, but a lot of times you're conditioned by what people tell you. So when people in the media tell you, oh, so-and-so got the better of so-and-so in sparring, you you can fall into this trap of believing that will tell you anything. Like, the gap between sparring and fighting is huge, man. It's about, can you manage fight week? Can you manage your weigh-in? Can you manage everything leading up to that first bell? There are so many things that could destabilize your whole operation. Now, arguments are like ah, Tank was only young, you know, you know, Javante, uh, not Tank, uh, Devin was only young. Javante Davis was bullying him. Um, Javante Davis probably fought older guys himself, like sparring older guys. Like it, it's just the nature of the game, man. Sparring, sparring. Like, watch it, be entertained. Don't draw anything from it. That's a different Devin. It's a different Tank. When they fight each other, it's not going to look like that. you know. I think people need to give up on this obsession with sparring. Oh, I've got to see some sparring footage. You don't. Having been in gyms and seen sparring. When a coach gets sparring right, it shouldn't look like a fight. It should look like preparation for very defined scenarios. And then come fight night, that's when you see everything come together. But that's just my view, man. Everyone else has got their own view. I just want to wrap up now because I've got to done nearly an hour. Um, let me wish all the boys at Leicester Arena tomorrow night, Saturday, um, all the best. Probably shouldn't have said tomorrow night uh, because it's only going to go out on Saturday anyway. Um, this me being lazy. Um, shouts out to Keenan Brown Wingfield. Good lad listens to the pod, engages a lot and then the rest of the Leicester boys Stanley Stanard, obviously, uh, Blocko Callum Blockley, Tyler Rivers um, Leon Woodstock will be back, um, good to see him back on the circuit uh, Paige Murney, I mean super talented kid but no no good luck to those guys, I, I, like I said in episode 200 I really enjoyed my time in Leicester and like they should have got me back up there commentating maybe that's your job Keenan campaign for me to be the the commentator of choice but no good luck guys get those wins Um, you guys can't be far off TV there's a lot of talent on that card a lot of talent in Leicestershire there's a lot of talent up that M1 corridor so good luck boys and girls, men and women or be inclusive there get those wins, get those stoppages and then it's on to the next one and on that note I want to tap out and say enjoy the rest of your weekend guys take care